You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Small Biz Ahead, the podcast for small business presented by The Hartford. This is John A. Deconis. I am joined with my co-host, Gene Marks, and a special guest today, Jordan Exani. Um, he is the co-founder and partner of Shift Collab, and today we're going to have a little talk about uh, mental health in the workplace. How's everybody doing? Doing great. great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for yeah, coming Thanks on. for joining us. How's it going? Oh, great. Great. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's look, uh, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of movement and things going on in the workplace mental health industry, of course. Um, and uh, COVID's presented uh, more challenges. And so it's been a busy time, but uh, but a wonderful and fulfilling time. And it's been uh, it's been so great to have these conversations out there in the open. So uh, truly, thank, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, let's roll up our sleeves and get into it. Well, maybe we can start a little bit, Jordan. Can you tell us a little bit about Shift Collab and the work that you do there? Absolutely. So Shift is a, a kind of a funny company because we have we're we're an integrated business and, and offering two things. So one is a therapy practice. So we're a Canadian company and we have therapists from from coast to coast. Um, around eighty therapists that that practice with us uh, right now. And the the challenge that we ran into is one one to one therapy is all well and good. However. What is more beneficial um, in the context of our working lives is where those one-to-one aha moments that come out of therapy can be translated into the workplace. And so that is our second side of our business where we provide workplace mental health training, uh, talks, workshop, ongoing coaching and support um, for companies across North America, ranging from uh, tech titans like LinkedIn and Shopify to research institutions like uh, the Broad Institute at MIT and Harvard, all the way down to CPG companies companies and and service-based businesses. And what's been really surprising with some of this work is it's taken us to even more recent months deliver virtual training to groups in the Asia Pacific region, uh, the Middle East and beyond. I mean, this is truly a global challenge when we talk about workplace wellness. And so, you know, I can assure you, it's not just you folks. (laughs) What I think is interesting, right, is like we just got through probably what's one of the most difficult years that I'd say most people living today have have kind of gone through, right? Like 2020 was a lot. I think everyone was ready for a little break. 2021 kind of started out, you know, with, with some of that same intensity, but I feel like we're kind of settling into whatever we want to call this, whether it's like the new normal or kind of the expectation of every day being historical, right? That's kind of my new joke. Like I'm sick of living through like, this is a historic day. I just want a boring day. But I think what kind of comes with that is, you know, most notably probably for our audience, like a new way of working, a new way of leading, a new way of kind of being led. So are there things when you when you talk about mental health, can you kind of help us like define that? You know, are we really talking traditional and well and clearly defined um, things that might also be known as mental illness? Are we talking more about kind of exhaustion? Is it kind of this ethereal, you know, concept of burnout, whatever that might mean to you personally? Like if someone is struggling with their mental health, what might that kind of take form as? I love that you asked this question because mental health, um, you know, when we talk about it in the context of work, while well-intentioned, um, it is, it's a buzzword, right? And and it's really a catch-all now. So so we like to think of mental health as a as a spectrum that kind of is sits on two axes. So one axis is our mental wellness, which is our ability to thrive in our daily life. And, and what's interesting about mental wellness is it comes down to a lot of our 
preventative behaviors, our self-regulation. Um, so for example, stress management, that would fall under the mental wellness category. Uh, being able to uh, deal with the anxiety of changes that are ongoing in the world or in our lives. Um, being able to navigate relationships, um, those would fall within our mental wellness bucket. And on the other axis, we have mental illness. And so mental illness, of course, being a diagnosable condition. Uh, that comes either naturally or through our, our life's experiences that has uh, significant biological consequences for our brains. And, and so all of us, we exist on this spectrum. So imagine these two axis, axes. It's very possible that you have no mental illness whatsoever, but you are um, extremely mentally unwell. It is also possible for you to have mental illness, but to be mentally well. And other combinations, too. Um, we all kind of exist and we all drift around this spectrum over time. And so mental health is the broad understanding of, of the intersection of those two elements. Does that make sense? That does. And, you know, what's interesting is I, I guess, kind of based on the work that you do, that maybe there's some key themes that you see arise among today's workforce that might indicate like, hey, you know, business owner, manager, leader, um, it might be time to check in with your team because like this might be something that's indicating, you know, kind of either a, a struggle with wellness or illness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of what we see in the workplace starts off with concerns around mental wellness. And, and the challenge is, is so say something like chronic stress. So chronic stress left unchecked and left to fester in our minds over time can very well lead to uh, not just mental illness, but to degenerative diseases as well. And so a lot of the burden that's being put on leaders in business now is to become more aware of the um, the negative effects of mental, the negative, um, the, the causes of negative or not optimal mental wellness on their teams. Um, and it begins with a lot of those everyday examples, um, you know, stress, workload. Uh, supporting people while they're grieving, uh, assisting with uh, accommodations when that's required, um, you know, being being able just to have conversations human to human and really hear your people and validate their uh, their emotions and what's going on in their lives. I mean, all those things have so many benefits in how people uh, start to deal with their own challenges. Um, so that's really where where a lot of this stuff starts in workplaces. I mean, when we go into workplaces, it's pretty rare that we're rolling up our sleeves because there is a lot of uh, collective mental illness that's present within an organization. You know, that may be common in some, like for example, in, uh, you know, if we're dealing with law enforcement or um, emergency services. I mean, there's a, an awful lot of PTSD, which is a mental illness. Um, but you know, in more of our everyday business category, it's the mental wellness stuff. And, and one way I like to put it is um, mental health right now, and in particular mental wellness, is not as much of a clinical problem as it is a leadership one. Every leader has the capacity to learn the fundamentals of what a mentally well workplace looks like and build that as part of their culture and their operating principles within their organization. That doesn't require a therapist. That doesn't require a PhD to come in and tell you exactly what to do and how. That are, those are the soft skills that now I think workplaces really, really crave. And in fact, it's funny, we just did a big survey with, um, with Xero, um, their team out of the US, the accounting software. And one of the questions we asked was, is leadership in your organization, uh, uh, the exact wording is escaping me, but the gist of it was, do you see your company supporting mental wellness 
and and we asked a bunch of questions to do with that. But then the follow-up was, is do you believe your business is more competitive if it supports employee mental wellness? And overwhelmingly, people rate that very high. Like it was like agree or strongly agree. And and so it's not just like this soft thing that's nice to do for people, which is I think how we kind of thought of this stuff for a long time, but it actually has organizational benefits. And and that's really, I think, where groups like ours are starting to have conversations with leaders because it you know, we have to make things make sense in business terms. And then and then the fact that we're also you know, collectively as a society, we're really trying to move the needle on how we talk about mental health and mental wellness. Uh, that has intrinsic benefits, but it all starts from a place of understanding as a leader. Hey, I have a responsibility for this. You know, this whole thing, I, just, I, I right. it's like, sounds like such a, um, it's such a generational thing. You know, I mean, if I don't even think Jordan, we could be having this conversation 20 years ago. Um, because, oh, no. right. I mean, it's, it's like a new thing there. And, and yet, Obviously, mental health and mental you know, health awareness is a critical thing that improves profitability and productivity in a company. But then, you know, we've got a lot of people that run businesses, frankly, that are my age, you know, in, in our mid 50s, where we were growing up, you know, we were raised to not share those feelings or to not yeah. really pay attention to that kind right. of stuff. Just get to work already. You know what I mean? So what do, totally. you, yeah. what do you say, Jordan, to those older business owners um, to make them appreciate how important this type of, you know, awareness is for their employees and their companies. Well, I think the first thing is to acknowledge exactly what you just did. You know, acknowledge that this has been a shift. We work with, you know, when we work with big research institutions or think tanks, like ones that often have a lot of academia and their backbone, like affiliations with universities and stuff. There's a lot of that old boys approach, right? Where it's like, hey, when I was doing my doctoral research, it nearly killed me. And so it has to do that for you too. Like that's that's kind of the belief that comes down, right? Um, and so what we find to be helpful is, Look, let's let's be very honest that things have changed. And then let's go a step further and say, look, let's also be very honest. You have suppressed a lot, too, at different points in your career. Just because you are from a different generation doesn't mean you're immune. And let's talk about what that was for you. Um, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to put you out on a chaise lounge and, and get into, you know, your earliest memories of your working life. But that is to say is like, let's, let's do a little bit of thinking about the things that you wish were available to you in your earlier years or in your formative years of your career. Uh, let's, let's think about how you wish your managers and your executives, um, engaged with you on these topics. Um, and when we start having that kind of conversation, almost as if we could rewrite history, uh, we tend to get a lot of movement because people will start to say, OK, well, holy crap. Now that I pull that back, actually, what I see is something that's, you know, really has been uh, a key driver in my overall intensity or um, that has shaped my belief about myself and my working identity. Actually, that did come from those formative years. And once we can crack open that conversation with a leader, we can start to see that's not so scary. And one of the things that we often that often gets mixed up in all of this is I think in order to, a lot of leaders believe that in order to lean into these conversations, it means that you almost have to like have a town hall within your company and bear all like like that. Your CEO is going to stand up and say, look, here's every painful thing that's ever happened to me. Here's the lies I've been living. Here's all the you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's all well and good. I, I mean, vulnerability is fantastic. But the reality is, is you don't actually have to do that as a leader. You just need to create space to acknowledge the things that are intrinsically going on in people's minds um, and and even just lead with a little bit of that curiosity and give space for people to explore that. 
Um, one of the byproducts of our generation, the the, the younger, so <laughs> I'm of the generation just below below yourself there. And one of the things that I think is very common in our generation is that there is this hunger to be seen, to tell our stories, um, to feel less alone. I think probably because so much of our digital lives has made us feel so isolated. So there's this desire we all have to rip off our mask and say, hey, here I am, world. In the context of the workplace, I mean, all we have to do as leaders is give the time and the space for people to do that. And then what I find is, you know, the rest kind of takes care of itself uh, because we are so open about these challenges, which means we're more open to ask for support. We're more open to ask for help. The other thing I'll, I'll say on this too is there's shortcuts that you can make. So for example, one of the, one of the tricks that we've used a bunch of times over the years is uh, we built our own anonymous texting tool um, years ago. And we'll go into a, a workplace or even an executive team for that matter. And we'll ask them to share anonymously using this platform, uh, like what's keeping them up at night right now? Or what do you wish you were courageous enough to share with your colleagues? Like big, heavy hitting questions. And you guys, you guys can imagine, like we're getting these looks from these executive teams, you know, in their 50s and 60s saying, who are these kids doing? Like, what what have we signed ourselves up for? Um, but given space and given the opportunity to share with the, the fear or embarrassment, most people end up leaning into this a lot and opening up. And the way we built our platform is it's it's not traceable. So anything you share, it's just out of time and place. You can't, we can never figure out who said what. And, and we show people how that works to build trust. And then when you see the responses from your colleagues, whether that's like your board members or your management team or your whole company, and you see what everyone's holding, it's like, we try to get to that feeling of, holy crap, I thought I was alone, but I'm not. And once you get a team to that point, or even to a, a leadership team that's of an older generation at that point to see that they aren't alone in feeling the things that they are, having the beliefs that they do, that ultimately that's where people will commit and say, okay, I do have to change up how we're approaching this thing in our company. It's a really beautiful transition. We kind of step in to help with that. Jordan, that's, that's interesting because I think, you know, to Gene's point, I think there's one kind of the generational difference where sometimes, you know, you might have been raised to keep your work self and your personal self really separate. Um, sure. I feel increasingly we hear in companies, right, kind of bring your whole self to work and see what that can do. And if you can really be inclusive of your strategy and kind of create this environment for, for openness, you know, you can kind of see better business results, which, you know, I, I agree with. But I, I think what's often what I see sometimes, and I think you kind of got here when you were talking about like, you know, people look at the softer buzzword is how do you balance empathy with honesty? Right. Mm. I think that's sometimes the, the balance that I, um, I'll witness kind of being tough where I, I personally don't think empathy means being super nice and socially pleasant all the time. I think it means being able to have open and honest conversations that are going to help move somebody forward or something forward. And I think, you know, the, the truth doesn't always, you know, it's not a teddy bear, right? Like the, the saying is the truth hurts. And, you know, if I go back to kind of growing up in the, you know, my career in the early 2000s, there was literally a book called If You Have to Cry, Go Outside, where, you know, the notion was like, <laughs> learn to kind of take like that advice and trust your intuition and be bold and be brave. And it's not always going to be comfortable if it's going to be the right thing for you. And you kind of have to be okay with that. So as a leader who's trying to kind of really bring out the best and, and drive change and kind of shape and grow, which we all know is an uncomfortable process typically, right? That's where the, the magic happens. How do you balance that with empathy, you know, and, mm. and 
what do you think of someone who's in there is the difference? That's a great question. Um, look, I, I think I feel like a lot of times um, when we are talking about anything to do with mental health in the workplace, we can feel the need to be extremely gentle. Um, one of the things that I've come to believe, not just in our own company, but in working with other leaders, is people typically know what they need. People, people, given the opportunity to ask um, for what they need, people will do it. Uh, given the opportunity to uh, be vulnerable and open in a way that works for them, they'll do it. Um, given the option to take time off or have an accommodation plan made up, um, people will do that. And I, I, I've come to realize, I think, that people are a lot, employees are a lot stronger than we give them credit for. And so a lot of this stuff, it's not about creating these endless cycles of vulnerability where we feel like as leaders that we have to be the therapist to our employees, but rather how can we be boundaried and firm and clear? And I think you can be those things provided you're also transparent about what you're com where you're coming from, uh, what your concerns are, and, and tackle some of these challenges in a very easy way. Like I'll give you an example, and this is, this is a hypothetical, but something that we deal with all the time with our clients. Like, so say you have an employee that um, you know, maybe has suffered a loss and is grieving. And you initially give some space and time for, you know, for them to take care of the needs of the family or the, their individual needs. But then at a certain point in time, there's just this, you know, you could see that there's this lingering thing where, where someone's not quite all there. They haven't really bounced back. They're not feeling that resilient. You know, many leaders will just kind of turn a blind eye to that and say, OK, well, I'll give it more time. Other leaders that are really courageous will lean into that and say, OK, look, so what is going on here? How are you really doing? What do you need from us? Because here's what we need from you. And then create a game plan where either accommodations can be made and there could be some flexibility there or otherwise just have it out in the open about why there's this disconnect. And that's totally fair game, even with employees that are not in an ideal or mentally well state. It's still OK to put the organization's needs on the table. It's just on the flip side, you also have to be willing to make accommodations or exercise some flexibility. But there's nothing wrong with getting everything out there so that you can make that plan. Like if you and, and I think that's what leaders are often really afraid of. Right. It's like it, it's it, we're just going to lead to these long circular conversations. Nothing's going to change. We're not going to be able to support this person. Uh, they're going to you know transition out, whatever the case may be. But ultimately, like it's it's I think our opportunity as a leader to um, to your point, hold that empathy, but then also exercise a lot of to use Kim Scott's reference, radical candor at the same time, even around these delicate topics. It's just you can't do it. You can never do it from the position of leadership position where you are um, exerting any kind of judgment or prejudice. Instead, you can just be very matter of fact. And I, to your point, I think those things often are at odds against each other. And it takes a lot of thinking and confidence on behalf of leaders to be able to put both out there at the same time. Yeah, I think it's scary, right? Like, I think having an, a really honest conversation about, like, your feelings or perceptions can be difficult for anyone, even the most seasoned manager. Sure. You know, but I think about that even in the context of, of the small business owner, right? And Gene, I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts here, because I think sometimes probably on the larger side with coaching like that, you can you can kind of build a process. And even though it's still personal and genuine, 
you kind of have the protection of the many, right? And you kind of have that, you got a team behind you. But if you're a, a guy with a, a team that really is like your family and you're in there day in and day out, like, do you find challenges as an owner, either maybe flagging um, something that might be concerning for you because you don't want to overstep or because maybe you have a, a level of a personal investment in someone or in someone's kind of well-being that makes you think about it more like I don't want to like aggravate them or question them as like a friend or someone I care about or like a family member versus just an employee where you're thinking about business needs. Yeah, there, there is, um, you know, I, I definitely have issues about stepping over the line um, and digging into people's personal lives. And there's two issues that I have with it. One is I don't want to make any mistake and offend somebody or, or, you know, say anything that like kind of, you know, um, you know, goes, like I said, over the line. That's number one. And number two is, um, I'm speaking so selfishly because I'm really bad at this. Um, I don't, um, I don't, I don't want to even like get into it. You know, I mean, sure. I keep thinking like it was like a month ago I was at a client and um, it's this, it's a manufacturing client. There's two owners. Uh, they're both around my age. We're in our mid fifties. And I'll never forget this. I was in a conference room and right outside the door, this employee was, was crying and one of the owners stumbled on the employee and it turns out she was just, you know, she was just crying to him about all, you know, but she was going through some stuff in her life, you know, like she had some financial issues and then she had whatever. She was like weeping. And I caught the guy's eye, you know, cause she, her back was to me and he caught my eye and he started rolling his eyes. you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, and, and I, I kind of, you know, and, and, and I, I got it, but, you know, both her, I felt bad for her. But also he's like, you know, you put yourself in the business owner's position. He's trying to run a company. He's got a hundred employees. Sure. He's got his own, you know, he's got his own issues that he's dealing with. And yeah. now here he is having to play, you know, psychiatrist to one of his employees. Um, it's a really tough, it's like, it's almost like too much. You know what I mean? For it, a business owner to deal with. It, it is too much. Like, and that's, and that's the whole thing, right? Like, one of the biggest misconceptions around workplace mental health is that it's this top-down thing. In reality, workplace mental health initiatives are a two-way street. Like it, it takes employee active involvement to understand the pathways of support, um, to understand the boundaries of their colleagues and managers. Um, and there has to be tools and strategies in place so that it's not like so that it doesn't come to something like that where someone is tearing up out in the open and and like unleashing the opening the floodgates to someone that that may not be ready for that or where it was unanticipated. Of course, those things are going to happen at times because we're human. But this is the whole thing, right? It's like we're scared of it because we don't really have an operating system for how these things should be treated on teams. So as much as like a lot of the work that groups like us do is, is with the executive and leadership teams to figure out what can be done at a higher level from a managerial approach. We also do a ton with, you know, your interns all the way to your mid-level employees around understanding how to go about uh, something like this. I just said about as a Canadian, I oh, don't know, um, how to how to figure that out in yeah, a way you, that you is Canadians are used to crying. You seem to cry over everything. So this Yeah, oh, we cry over spilled milk. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it, yeah. It's it, so it's it's one of those things where I think again it's it's scary. It's you're absolutely right. The business owner is like, I've got enough. I wow, I can't be this person's therapist. And our message is, they don't have to be that person's therapist at all. If you, if these things are out in the open in the company, if you're talking about these things, if you're providing training, if you're reviewing uh, with your team how to handle difficult situations, like stuff like that shouldn't happen. 
Um, and and that's that's where a lot of companies are starting to get to. Um, and then the other thing I will say too is there's absolutely nothing wrong with hearing something, hearing someone out, because those vulnerable moments will happen, right? Someone, you know, will try to hold it together, but be holding in an immense amount of pain, and they'll just kind of pop. Um, and in those moments, there's nothing wrong with just kind of hearing that person, taking them into a private place, uh, like a private setting, or you know, a, an individual Zoom room these days, and and just and just asking them a couple clarifying questions. And then at the right time, all you have to do as a leader is say, what do you think you need? And this is what I mean by what I said earlier. Most people, when they are in a vulnerable and compromised position, they intuitively know what they need. And so the leader's opportunity is just to listen and ask that question, connect them with the right thing internally or externally, try to facilitate that, and then just check in one week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, even just over a quick email. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? And then you're not getting back into these dialogues um, and these incredibly difficult emotional moments, but instead you're making sure that that person, that employee is getting what they really need, whether it be counseling from a professional or support from outside of work or engaging families, like whatever it is. And that's, that's the kind of thinking that I think is really important to have uh, when we start to get into these moments. You know, there, we're talking about like benefits, like certain actions that employers could take. And, and I have, I have um, you know, I think we're talking about small businesses that are listening to this right now. So there's yeah. definitely a, um, you know, a, a budget issue, a resource issue here as well. But, you know, I mean, making, you know, having a relationship with um, a counseling firm, um, people that provide mental health, you know, therapy and making those services available to your employees, encouraging your employees confidentially, saying as part of the benefits of working for my company or working for our company is um, you can reach out to these people if there's somebody that you'd like to talk to. Um, is that something that you see other firms doing? Is that something that you would encourage a business owner yeah. to consider as a, as a benefit? So I, I think in short, yes, but I think the space is looking a lot different these days. So what we recommend uh, companies to do now is to reach out in your community. And if you're a big company with offices all over a couple states or whatever, I mean, you can still do the same thing, but find practices near your offices that um, you can engage with and say, hey, we're an employer nearby. Our people have healthcare benefits for what you offer. Can we figure out how to have a warm transfer? And, and what I mean by that is like, can your HR person or can you as a business owner get to know the owner or someone that manages that clinic and, and ensure that you can, um, that someone, if you set, recommend that they reach out, will be well taken care of. Because that's what most people need to access therapy or counseling. Like they need, like, like Gene, I would need you to say like, hey, Jordan, sorry that things are tough, man. But you know what? I actually know Rick who runs the counseling place down the road. He's a great guy. I've, a couple other employees, not going to say who have used the services, really happy. Like, why don't I email the two of you and you guys can set up a time to talk about what you need. And it's local and people want to feel like it's, you know, that there's there's people nearby them that care about them, that understand where they're coming from. So that would be my recommendation, honestly. So, you know, have that benefits pool one way or another um, that would allow people to access some sessions. In, in, for a bunch of our clients here in Canada, our corporate clients, they actually buy small pools of sessions um, that their employees can access in addition to their benefits plan that they can use with us. Like we do things like set up a little landing page for different companies and stuff, and that gives that sense of a warm handoff. But any company can do that. So just find 
find a find a nearby practice and you can email those practices out of nowhere and they would be pleased to hear from you. So don't think that's off the table. I think it's all about what can we do to make accessing care more of a human experience. No one wants to feel like a number, especially at a time of vulnerability. Awesome. No, I think that's really great because I think, you know, there is that kind of question on how how personal and how, you know, how much do people kind of trust the services that come through when you talk about some of those value adds. So I think that's a really interesting way to kind of think about replicating that experience, especially for a small business. Yeah. And um, what, a, what a relief for the business owner too, right? It, it, look, there's confidentiality. You can't know if someone's accessing services anyway, and that's just life. But you can try to really grease the wheels so that you can you can ensure there's as least amount of friction as possible for someone getting support. And like, there's nothing like, look, a lot of our therapy clients come to us when things are hunky dory. There's no such thing as things being bad enough to have to go to therapy. Right. So so right. encourage the employees <laughs> just to reach out whenever um, and especially at times of need. It's great. It gives the business owner peace of mind. It keeps things local. And in our experience, it's just it's just a, it's just a wonderful way to be able to have that boundary in place. So, you know, as a leader, OK, we're going to stand behind our, our people's mental health. We're going to have a service that are a bunch of options that support them. We're going to have this service nearby that we feel confident in. Um, and so if when difficult things come up, I know exactly what my next move is as a manager. And that that gives that sense of uh, hope and control. Well, thank you, Jordan, you know, so much for spending your time with us today. I feel like we could almost do a series here with, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions that come in from this episode, but really appreciate kind of the time. And, you know, is there anything else you'd want our, our folks to kind of know before we sign off? One last thing, and I, I think I've hinted at this a bunch of times, but just remember when it comes to anything that we've just discussed, it is entirely in your hands as a human being with a pulse to do something about for your colleagues. Um, it, you know, these topics, in, 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 these conversations, these uh, can happen regardless of how many, you know, degrees you have, or if you're a social worker or a therapist or not at all, right? And we're all humans. And just remembering, remember that at the end of the day, we all want to feel heard. We all want to feel valued. And however you can do that, and uh, communicate that to your team and your colleagues, that is going to be a net positive. And that's what I mean earlier when I said, you know, mental health in the workplace is more of a leadership issue than a clinical issue at this point in time. And so it's a wonderful challenge for all of us. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, step up into it as much as you feel comfortable to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And Gene, you know, thank you as always for kind of spending the time with us today. Um, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm going to stick with, I, I think we should definitely continue this in a part two, because I think we can definitely get a little bit more into maybe um, some of the ways leaders can actually take action on some of this really good advice, but appreciate everyone's thoughts, you know, and Jordan, thank you for sharing your experience and expertise. And this was another episode of Small Biz Ahead presented by the Hartford, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, everybody. 